the stairs. I met a man who wasn't there. Who wasn't there again today. I wish I wish he'd go away. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy Halloween weekend to you, wherever you may be. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Happy to be there, as it were. I'm going to have to change that phrase someday. (laughs) I just think it's funny. Probably not. Let's say hello to our producer. He's there at the board. Tall guy, Nathan Miller. Nathan, what's your trick-or-treat costume? You can share it with the world. Trick-or-treat, trick-or-treat. Oh, let's see, I got to think of a new tall person type costume. I've always done things like, you know, Space Needle is one of my favorites, but maybe I can be shorty this time. Change it up. You know, instead of going tall, like be somebody short. And how would you pull that off yeah, without going treating on Maybe your knees? Uh, Oompa Loompa? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, that I would like to take pictures. Oompa tallest Oompa Loompa ever. Okay. <laughs> That's a great idea. Please take photos. You'll be uh, on mansonmitchell.com. We're so happy to have you with us once again of a Saturday, Nathan. And uh, this time around, this Halloween, we've got someone who makes, I just called her talking to you yesterday, the perfect Halloween guest. Absolutely. Ghosty gal. As a matter of fact, this book, I'll mm-hmm. tell you, it occurred to me last night, I put out the blurb for publicity purposes. And I almost uh, made a wisecrack about it. But I think there's something to be said by way of analogy. The book we're going to be discussing today, and it is it is as fresh as fresh can be. It's called Haunted in America, True Ghost Stories from the Best of Leslie Rule Collection. Leslie Rule is our guest. We're going to give her her mad props in a second. But I recall saying to you, Suzanne, that a book like this, were it a record, back in the days of making an album there, mm-hmm. this would have been her greatest hits album. Leslie Rule's greatest hits. Well, it's a greatest hits plus plus because there's other things that are included in here. Let me go ahead and give her her mad props and we'll bring her on. A quarter of a century ago, Leslie Rule embarked upon her quest to validate hauntings across America. She spent the night in spirit infested hotels, endured a bumpy ride on a haunted roller coaster and spoken to hundreds of credible witnesses to gather material for her four best-selling nonfiction books, Coast to Coast Ghosts, Ghosts Among Us, When the Ghost Screams, and Ghost in the Mirror. Rule's fascination with the topic was sparked by the fact that she grew up in a haunted house. She was driven by her desire to prove to herself that ghosts do exist. She dove into news archives to search for accounts of long-ago deaths of people, people who matched the descriptions of the apparitions witnesses had seen at the haunted locations. Rule's books are popular not only for her historical validation of haunted sites, but for the beautiful black and white photos that accompany the stories. This is a collection of her favorite cases from the first four books, also many updates and some brand new stories. So we welcome once again to Manson Mitchell, Leslie Rule on Halloween weekend. How are you today, Leslie? I'm good. How are you? We're good. And we can hardly wait to just have an hour of ghost stories. Sounds good to me. 
One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about before we launch into the first story is something that we have heard before, and I want to make it really clear, and I want you to be the one to clarify it. And that is the idea of a living spirit versus a residual or an impression haunting. What's the difference between those two types of ghosts? Well, um, a ghost is supposedly the soul of a dead human being or animal that has lingered on earth while um, residual haunting or a place memory is when a dramatic event has been imprinted upon the environment and it plays back like a loop of film. People will actually witness something that had occurred at one time, like somebody falling down the stairs. Now, that doesn't even mean the person who fell down the stairs died. We don't know why it happens. We just know that it does, that these really intense, dramatic moments sometimes are captured by the environment. And you can't interact with someone who appears in a residual haunting while it's possible to interact with a spirit. Right. And and I think I read it in your book. I'm not sure. But it's something like a, a, a place memory or a residual haunting is a little bit like a TV show. You, you yes. could you could sit and yell at your TV or, you know, want to interact with a famous actor, but they can't hear you. They're just right. doing their movie. So it's like a video. Exactly. You, you can't interact with the video. But if it's if it's a, a spirit that is is still alive, then there can be an interaction. Is Have I got yes. that right? Um, okay. Yes. Often people can communicate with spirits. But I've heard a lot of about a lot of ghost sightings where the ghosts won't communicate. They may not be aware of the living people around them, but it doesn't mean that they're a place memory in that case. They might be. They could just be living at a different time, right? In the same yes. place, but a different time. They could be stuck in another era, right? not aware that the world around them has changed. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So then they wouldn't be playing like a loop. They might be doing different things, but they're doing different things in 1800 or 1900 or a different point in time. Maybe maybe an earlier resident of a house. Yes, have- and I've had quite a few cases where people will tell me about a ghost emerging from the wall. And then it turns out that the place was remodeled. And at one time there was a doorway there. So the uh, ghost still takes the path. Yeah. Apparently unaware that the door is no longer there. Hmm. That's, that's fascinating. <laughs> it occurs to me, Leslie, that ghosts... There, who may be, uh, they may have been dead, you know, 65 years. And when they're encountered, if you try to look at it from the viewpoint of the ghost, it isn't so much human emotion that has changed or necessarily advanced, I regret to say. What would throw me off as a self-respecting ghost is what's all this new technology? I mean, I was going to send a telegram and I went to the old telegraph office (laughs) and it's a Walmart now. 
And so the, the information revolution, the computer technology that we have at our disposal would look to someone even 50 years ago, but especially 75, 100 years ago and beyond as a kind of magic. Yes, I think so. And it's almost like they go to sleep when the environment is not familiar. And there's quite a few cases of museums that have been staged to look like another era, like the Lizzie Borden house, where they, when they place the furniture in the living room, they put it in the exact spots where they were on the tragic morning that the elder Bordens were murdered. And that seemed to create a little stir. So it's quite possible that earthbound spirits come awake when there is something familiar. In some cases, it might be a grandmother who loved her her grandbaby, and then a new family moves into the home where the grandmother died, and she'll look after the children because they're familiar to her. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I've always wondered about Lizzie Borden, too. I don't want to get too far off track here. We have stories of yours to relate. Suzanne was reading through the book and, and highlighting like crazy. We want to get to those. But can you imagine the feeling of satisfaction in a rather perverse way that would be felt by Lizzie Borden's defense attorney? I mean, whoever it was that got her off that rap, the, the hideous double murder rap, I, I just, I don't know how that would happen. Who do you, if you're in the jury, you're sitting on there, who do you think did it if it wasn't her? Was it the neighbor kid? I mean, something like that with, with such ferocity involved. It's amazing to me that she actually did not spend the rest of her life in prison or even be executed. Yes, well, it was an all-male jury. And back in the 1800s, a lot of people didn't, a lot of people thought that females weren't capable of murder especially oh, something yeah. so violent. Yeah. So that's probably why she got off. And I yes. think even today, a lot of women get away, away with murder because we're not expecting them to be dangerous. That's a good point. That's a good point. You had said something about the ghost grandmother taking care of the grandchild a few moments ago. And it, it's reminded me of one other thing I wanted to uh, have you mention before we launch into the stories, and that is your own perspective about uh, following, uh, looking for these ghost things. You say that you're fascinated, but you're not scared. Well, I find it reassuring. When we see evidence that the soul lives on after the body dies. Now, when it comes to earthbound spirits, the leading theory is they have not crossed over yet. Maybe they're confused. Maybe they're attached because their murder hasn't been resolved. But when you have a situation where your grandma died, but she shows up in your room to say goodbye, She's not necessarily an earthbound spirit, but someone who has crossed over, but has come back to check on you. So those yes. are the stories that are very reassuring to me. Yes. The other thing that um, that you mention in uh, in the book, and you've you've mentioned this before, is that most often the ghosts are 
uh, as a result of a traumatic ending. If somebody is, you know, very sick and they've been sick for a long time, there's an expectation that they are going to leave. But when people have very sudden deaths, that they don't always realize that that they're dead. If there is a you know a sudden bullet or or some uh, like war, I mean, think of all the war areas around the world that are haunted, like Gettysburg and yes, and, and you know places out in Europe from World War II. It's that the the people who died there so quickly are still hanging around because they may not even they may be confused and not even realize that they've passed. Yes, especially because there's probably no time on the other side. So a century might pass, but to the ghost, it might feel like three seconds. Oh, I've heard it said by uh, an afterlife researcher, actually. And this gentleman wrote that it's hard to imagine for we who are still in the body. But if you're on the other side and you blink from what he gathered in his research, if you blink your eyes, as it were, 20 human years have passed in that time because time over there is not like time over here. Yes. And this is something that we can't measure and we don't know for certain, but it is a leading theory, but that they do not observe time in the same way that we do. It almost seems like a melding of past, present, future. When you're on the other side, you just have a wholly different or a holistic and very different perspective on the function of time. Yes. In fact, I've had stories of ghosts moving into the future. There was a a horrible tragedy in the 1980s in Kansas City. Uh, Sky bridges collapsed at a hotel during a tea dance and over 100 people died. Mm. And a researcher found that a few days before that happened, people in the neighborhood had seen dancers. They had seen people dancing through their windows. Hmm. Maybe the maybe the people had premonitions, or maybe it was the ghosts moving through time. Wow. Again, something we can't prove or disprove. Right, right. A lot of it you can't prove or disprove. The the stories that I find um compelling are the ones where there are multiple witnesses and uh, we'll get to some of those but um, let's let's go ahead so we get in a story or two before our break I wanted to start with one that really involves you and your personal life and that was the fact that as a, a young girl you actually trained yourself to swim to Maury Island but I also wanted you to tell in conjunction with that the story of a fisherman who died. So would you tell both of those things? Sure. Um, I grew up in Des Moines, Washington, and my house was on Puget Sound, and the water was very cold. So cold that if somebody who wasn't prepared immersed themselves in that water, they could possibly get deadly hypothermia within five minutes. But your body can adjust to things, at least... It, uh, when we're young, um, when I was 20, I wanted to swim across the sound to Maury Island because there was a lighthouse over there that I used to sit in the living room and watch it blink at night. 
So it was two and a quarter miles away and I wasn't a fast swimmer. So I practiced by getting in the water every day, starting out with about five minutes and adding five minutes each day until I could stay in the water for over two hours. And then I planned the swim for a new moon. There was one time of the day when the tides were going to be very quiet and there wasn't supposed to be many waves. And I went across at that time. I had two boats by my side and I had also coated my my body with vegetable shortening to seal in the heat. And I made it across. It took me two hours and 15 minutes. Um, It was just a personal goal that I'd always wanted to achieve. Now, what you were mentioned, Suzanne, was the story about a ghost associated with that area. Yes. Um, I learned about this when my mom and I were signing books. Some people came to the line. And they told me about an odd thing that occurred. They said that they were in a rowboat and they were approaching Maury Island when the water got really rough and they, they were bumping into rocks and they thought the boat was going to tip. And all of a sudden this man appeared as a fisherman and he pulled the boat ashore and they, they looked up to thank him. And he was gone. There was no sign of him. So they walked up a path to a little store and they told the cashier about it. And she looked really skeptical. And she said, there's nobody like that around here. I've never heard of him before. So they concluded that they had met a ghost. And as the people told me the story, I turned to my mom and I said, I wonder who that ghost could have been. I never heard of anybody dying out there. I never heard of a fisherman dying out there. And my mom said, oh, don't you remember? That was your grandma Doris's favorite story. And that was my father's mother. And she also had lived on Puget Sound in the house I grew up in, in, actually. And she loved to tell about a day years earlier uh, in the 1940s when a fisherman would go out into the waters and fish near Maury Island. And there was an obese woman who wanted a ride in his rowboat. And he kept saying no, but she kept pestering him. So one day he decided to give in and he took the woman out into the water. Unfortunately, she was so big that she caused the boat to tip over. She survived because her fat sealed in the heat, but the poor fisherman drowned. So I don't know if he was the ghost seen by this couple, but I thought it was kind of interesting. It was a good possibility he was. If there weren't, you know, a lot of fishermen that drowned or ones that could be uh, researched, it does seem like a good connection that that he was the one who drowned in that area, and then he was helping this other couple get their boat up so they would be safe. Well, that's what I thought, and I couldn't find any other cases. 
It doesn't mean there aren't any, but not everything was recorded in the news. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I think we have time for another one before the break. And that's good time. It's another water story. And, you know, as we have all been in Puget Sound and lived in Puget Sound, I'm originally from Chicago, and I read a Chicago River story in your book that I had never heard in my whole life I had been there. And it's interesting because I was never attracted to the Chicago River. I know they dye it green every St. Patrick's Day. I've been on the bridges that go over the Chicago River, but I've never found it inviting. I've just, you know, traversed it and said, you know, now I'm on the other side of it. And so I didn't really, I never gave the Chicago River a lot of thought, but you told a story in your book that I have never heard in all my years living there. And there were a lot of deaths involved in a story that goes back to the early 1900s. So why don't you take a few minutes to tell about that story? Yes, in July of 1915, there was an electric company with quite a few employees. So one Saturday, they had an event planned where all the employees could come get on. There were going to be two or three ships, and they were going to take them across the water to, um, I think it was... Michigan and they Michigan were going city, to- Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Michigan city, Indiana. It was, oh, okay. it was that far city, away. Indiana. You know, it, it would have been yeah. a fairly short ride. Yeah. Not like hours and hours. No, 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 no. Yeah. You're right. So they, uh, as people were preparing to get on, they were pretty excited. And one huge group of people on one ship, ran to the side of the boat as another ship was pulling up and it caused the whole ship to turn turtle. And it was a horrific scene. Over 800 people drowned. Whole families lost. It's very sad. Very, very sad. Um, There were some heroes. Some people jumped in and saved people. It was especially hard on the woman because they had such heavy clothing. Their long dresses dragged drag them to their deaths. Mm. Now, it's um, it's been said that years later, you can still hear screaming from the river. And it happens occasionally late at night. And I, I learned about this from the late Richard Crow. And he was a beloved ghost researcher in Chicago. And he told me that it became so common when the police department got these calls that somebody was drowning, that they knew there probably was no one drowning. They they figured out it was a ghost, but they were still obligated to go there because. Right. So there's apparently still activity there. That's quite a few people to die. Yes. Yeah. One of Chicago's worst disasters. Yeah, other than the fire, probably. Yeah. But yeah, interesting. I, I I mean, I've heard about the Chicago fire since I, you know, was a little girl. I never heard about the SS Eastland. And when you say over 800 people drowned in the Chicago River, 
it's kind of no wonder I've never been really attracted to the river. Right. You may be picked up on something. Yeah. And interesting, the police still get calls about people screaming in the river, but there's nobody there. Uh, supposedly yeah. people in nearby restaurants have looked out the window and seen people bobbing in the water. Mm. And at the time that uh, the uh, accident happened, people were carried to the uh, nearby building and they made a makeshift morgue. Uh, it took a while. I think some people weren't even, ever identified. Yeah. Uh, it turned out that that was the site of the future Harpo Studios. So that that building was also believed to be haunted by the ghosts of the Eastland. And a security guard caught a glimpse of a woman in an old-fashioned dress on a monitor. And people often heard murmuring, like people were a distant group of people talking to each other. They heard marching. Uh, they, they glimpsed some things out of the corners of their eyes. So that could very well be tied to the Eastland. And, and who uses the Harpo Studios now? I don't think Oprah's there anymore. Oh, she I think she moved to a different place. <laughs> okay. It was Oprah Winfrey yes. for a while. <laughs> well, very good. Let's go ahead and take our break. We've got more stories to share, courtesy of Leslie Rule. Her latest book is called Haunted in America, True Ghost Stories from the Best of Leslie Rule Collection. Greatest Hits of Leslie Rule. That's my nickname for it. I'm trying to help you promote here, Leslie. <laughs> and You'll get a commission. But, all right, I'll take it. Uh, more ghostly tales when we come back. Perfect for Halloween weekend, everyone. Hope you're planning some good tricks and treats of your own. We are Manson Mitchell, and we will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. 
On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Nicole Strickland, popular paranormal researcher and author, addressing the question, is there a glass ceiling for women in the fields of ghost research and parapsychology? On Saturday, Jim Meskimen returns with Hollywood stories of the famous people he has portrayed and whose voices he has impersonated so perfectly that you'd swear they were in the room. Bringing you fascinating talk since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Talk radio for the heart and soul. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. We are telling ghost stories on this pre-Halloween weekend with Leslie Rule, author of Haunted in America, true ghost stories from the best of the Leslie Rule collection, plus updates on some of the stories and new stories. So it's uh, quite a fascinating book and a great book for Halloween with all kinds of good things if uh, Leslie, if people want to get any of your books, the newest one or one of the others, or connect with you in some way, what is the best way for them to do that? Well, they can get it at any bookstore, but if the bookstore is not carrying it, you can ask it, ask them to order it for you. Quite a few of the Barnes and Noble have it. Of course, it's on Amazon and all the other online stores. Uh, and I always encourage people to go to their libraries. And if your library doesn't have it, they may order it. They have a budget set aside for requests by patrons. That most libraries do. So if they haven't used it up for the year, they may order a book that you want to read. And you have a website, yes? Yeah, www.authorlesslieroll.com. I'm on Facebook, too. That's probably the best way to communicate with me. Okay. You still, is it a Facebook. page? Leslie Rule on Facebook. Do you have your own personal it's, page? Are you accepting new friends or is it a I popular do. page? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. I it's open. Good. 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 Open F- for find bids. Leslie on, on Facebook. We before the break, we were talking about the Chicago story that I had never heard of. Although I don't think anybody in America has never heard of Al Capone. And your family has an Al Capone connection. Also from Chicago. So what was that? Well, Al Capone shows up frequently in the haunted places that I've researched. I've I've been to a number of ho- hotels and old prisons where people claim that the ghost of Al Capone appears. And I thought it was kind of interesting because when I was researching Alcatraz Island, one of the spots where Al Capone once lived, uh, because there was a prison there, um, I I remembered and I mentioned that my grandparents, my father's parents, John and Doris Rule, lived in Chicago during the gangster era. And one day, they parked their car and went to dinner in downtown Chicago. And when they came out of the restaurant, they found their car was riddled with bullet holes. But there was a note on the car, um, somebody apologizing and saying that they will pay for repairs. And it was signed by Al Capone. And he did. So sometimes there's honor among thieves. 
Did the notes? Did the notes say I'll pay for it? Now just drive it to Al's Body Shop. Yeah. I wish somebody asked me, "Do you still have the note?" And I sure wish we did, but yeah, I don't think in I don't think it even occurred to them to save that. Yeah, of course not. Of course not. That's a great story, though. That really it, is. I wish there was a photo. It is a nice family <laughs> connection. Some of the stories that intrigue me the most are the ones where there are multiple witnesses. And one of the stories you tell is where all the witnesses are very, very young. And that was your story, Madman in the Attic. I love that story. Why don't you tell a brief version of that to our listeners? Well, um, I know a woman by the name of Marilyn, and she told me about a really odd experience she had when she was a little girl. She was about five, and her grandparents lived in Los Angeles across the street from Hazard Park, and it was a huge old house. And her parents often just dropped her off there to stay with the grandparents. And there were usually a number of cousins that had also been dropped off. And the kids were left alone a lot. And they had an attic room that had been designated the kid area. And their grandparents had pushed two big beds together in the middle of the room. And the children loved to jump on the bed and uh, run around. And one night, there there were six kids, including Marilyn. And they were alone again because it was grandma's bingo night. And they were all um, playing and having a great time when suddenly they heard the loud footsteps coming up the stairs. And Marilyn said her grandfather had great big feet and he always made a lot of noise. And so the kids knew they were up past their bedtime. So everybody dove into the bed and they pulled the blankets up and tried to look like they were asleep. And they were they were all giggling because grandpa was coming and they weren't, you know, you know how little kids do, they squeeze their eyes shut and try to look like they're sleeping. And the door flung open and it was not grandpa. There was a man standing there. He was soaking wet. His hair was so wet. It was matted to the sides of his head. And his eyes were red as if he'd been crying. And Marilyn said the sound he made is impossible for her to describe. The closest she got was it was the sound of someone crying and laughing at the same time. And the man ran toward the bed and he went right through the bed and they could feel his energy. And then he dove through the window. They heard the glass shatter. Um, they were terrified. They could hear the the rain falling outside and they didn't even get up out of bed. They were so scared. They didn't want to go look and see what had happened to the man. And of course they couldn't sleep after that. And then they heard the sound on the stairs again. They were terrified. But this time when the door opened, it was grandpa and they all jumped out of bed and they ran to him and they were crying and telling him what happened. And he tried to console them. He patted their heads. And now, now, let let me show you. The window's not broken. See, it's not even raining outside. And the little girl thought, well, what what was that? And the grandpa said, it was your imagination. And now at age five, 
she didn't question the fact that all six kids had seen the same thing. Uh, so she just accepted it. And many years went by and she was an adult and she was at a family gathering and she saw her cousin, Tony. And he said something about the ghost in the attic and she gasped and she said, what? That was real. I thought I imagined that. And he said, oh, no. You know, I've talked about it uh, with the other cousin a number of times over the years. So how did, uh, if they were imagining it, how did they all see the same thing? Good question. Good question. If they had an emotional response, some parents would take more kindly to that kind of hysterical report than, than others would. Isn't it great if there are parents who are willing to hear out their children or their grandchildren to try to determine, you know, A, are they trying to fool me here? They're trying to pull one on grandpa. And if they are still emotionally distraught, let's get to the source of this and try to match up details. It would be rather a scientific approach in the moment. Most people would either not be interested in doing that, nor would they necessarily be capable. But if you could collect the stories in the same way one might gather an oral history, that would be fascinating. Yes, it would be. And I love to talk to people about the experiences they had when they were kids, because they usually don't forget them if they were old enough when it happened. And the, the theory is that we're all born with our third eye wide open, but our American culture hammers it out of us. We learn it's not normal to see things from the other side. So we eventually stop seeing. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Plus, nobody wants to be punished for making such a report. Ask yeah. anybody who's seen a UFO. Yes, people get labeled if they see something that other people haven't. Yeah, yeah, usually pretty negatively. Um, I want to go to your your story that is, uh, let's see, which one? I want to go to uh, page, uh, page 178. You, you talked about a... Um, couple of women who were prison guards. Oh, yeah. And a man who was on death row. And yes, uh, one, one woman was not there for his execution. She was homesick. Yes. But she had quite the experience. She, um, Lori Hopper. And she was a guard there. And she emailed me. It was in Galveston, Texas in about 1994. And she made a point to treat everybody with respect. And this guy was pretty horrible. He was a racist and he had uh, robbed a store and, and his victim's name was Walter Rose. And he continued being hateful in prison. But as, even though Lori didn't approve of what he was doing, she had decided that she was going to treat everybody with respect. And so she treated him with respect also. And as you said, he, she was homesick one day and she and her boyfriend had had a fight. So she was sleeping on the couch and somebody came up and kissed her on the forehead and said, thank you, whispered the word, thank you. And she thought, First, she thought it was her boyfriend. I mean, there was nobody there. And that wouldn't have made any 
any sense anyway, because they just gotten in a fight. And she, it hadn't occurred to her that this could be Warren Bridge until she went back to work and realized he'd been executed while she was gone. So she was chatting with another guard one day and the guard told her about something that had happened. And she described the exact experience that Lori had. So two people had had the same experience. Um, On the same I wonder, did he yes. go, did he say he was sorry? Did he go to his victims? I don't know, but yeah. it kind of made me mad that he, that he was allowed to go free even in spirit form. Reading it, I have my own take on it, which is to say thank you to these two corrections officers, these two ladies, to, to whisper thank you could work on a, at least a couple of levels. I, I've actually been processing this. The story just captivated me. The murderer, having been executed, may have been thanking them simply for their recognition of his common humanity. He did a horrible thing yes. there, but his common humanity, and they showed him dignity and respect to whatever degree, which he wasn't getting otherwise. And so he wanted to say, thank you. That's kind of a heart connection in a way. Yes. The, the other thing that occurred to me is that in addition to that, it may be that the executed man was now liberated from a body and a mentality on yes. the earth plane that was hateful, resentful, racist, and ultimately murderous. And if you're freed from all of that, you're going to feel joyously liberated because that's not who you are now that you no longer inhabit this body. And saying thank you is a way of just being grateful in more ways than one. That's a good way to look at it. I hope that people evolve when they die. No one knows really, but that makes sense. I know one thing, though, Leslie, I've said this numerous times on this program, that when we die, we cross over or not. But once we do cross over into the light, as is commonly supposed and described, you know, your personality isn't going to undergo instantaneous transformation as far as I can tell. I cannot see in the example I like to use for exaggerated effect is if you have a Klansman who's killed in a car accident and he crosses over, I seriously doubt that the first request he will make is to shake hands with Martin Luther King Jr. You know, you don't yeah. you don't die in a car wreck and two seconds later you've evolved. I just don't think it wouldn't be evolve or evolution or the evolvement of one's soul, you're going to carry around a lot of baggage. And part of being on the other side, I'm told, is working through this before you come back and do it in the body in a unique way in this 3D world and the fourth dimension of time. There's a lot to it. And it's very complicated. And I'm confused, Leslie. Help well, me Well, nobody here. knows. And if anybody <laughs> tells you that they do know for sure, they're not telling you the truth. The people who come the closest are the psychic mediums. But I don't think that any of us is supposed to know yet exactly what it is. I think we have to wait until it's our time. And once we cross over, hopefully we'll have the answers. But it, I, I like what you said about um, a killer having to evolve. And I like to think there's justice on the other side. If there's not in this lifetime that 
people will have to face up to what they did. I don't think there's a hell and people burn, but I think they should have to experience the pain that they inflicted on other people. And maybe that's what helps them evolve or evolve. Yeah. Well, can I go way out on that skinny branch? Sure. Follow up on your thought. And then I know Suzanne has another couple of stories. Let's suppose that the killer having a whispered thank you was indeed grateful for being liberated from his body and that particular incarnation, the consequences of that one lifetime. And he goes to the other side. And I say this because we're free to speculate. And people are saying in particular, let's say the murder victim, Okay, yes. the murder victim. What if the murder victim says to him, thank you. And the reason why he might say thank you is because, and again, this is about reincarnation theory and karma. Uh The person who was murdered in a past life, maybe 200 years ago, was a murderer himself, and he wanted to expiate. He needed to balance his karma by being the victim and know what that is like to go through, to suffer that kind of death. But in order for that to happen, somebody's got to offer to be the killer. Possibly. I kind of like the idea that before we're even born, we have a map of our lives that we want to live and the lessons that we think we need to learn. And so we may choose our own destinies before we're even born. Yes, that is a possibility. And we have talked about that before as as a possibility. I love to get in these discussions, but I always want to be clear that I do not have a have the answers. I have lots of theories. I have, uh, I've seen patterns from the things people have told me, but I don't think anyone can be a ghost expert. I think that's oxymoron. Well, and, and, (laughs) you know, this, the same with us, Leslie, is we talk to so many people who share their expertise, share their research, share their opinions, and it helps us to kind of form our own thinking about it it's it's like I'm I'm in school for 15 years learning all this stuff. And so it's helped me come to some conclusions about some things. But the more I know, the more I find out I don't know. I mean, yes, it, I, it, I know it, what you're saying. It's it's just it it's that deep, vast, and unknowable. So and, you know, and I we, remember um I believe it's my angel book that you're in. Yes. The grandfather. Yes. I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. The so grandfather are, on the are, stairs. Gardening. I, I, I remember. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, we talked about that. Yeah. You've yeah. told that story. I air. have. I have. <laughs> yep. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get in one or two more stories before the end of the hour. Um, maybe we could just go real quickly over Robert the doll. And the reason I chose Robert the doll is that Gary and I, actually went to Key West, Florida and saw Robert the doll behind the glass. And so if you could just kind of briefly tell the story of Robert the doll, then I have one more I'd like to end with. Well, Robert is a famous doll in Key West, Florida. And I went there and stayed in the artist house. And this is where Robert started out. But by that time, he was in a museum. Um, The owners, before they gave him away, had this issue where 
they were becoming disturbed because Robert seemed to be moving around the house yes. without any help. Yep. And at first they were moving him just to prank each other. And then they realized, wait a minute, neither of us did that. How did he get there? And um, Robert the doll had apparently lived in the artist house for many years. And he was um, the original artist, Gene, who lived there when he was a little boy, had gotten Robert as a birthday gift. And he became very attached to the doll. And he gave the doll. They dressed, they dressed alike. Yes, they dressed alike. Yeah, it was a, a big doll. It wasn't like yeah, a small he was a big doll. doll. It's like three, three, four feet tall. Well, and and author David Sloan wrote a book about Robert, a whole book, an entire book where he got into the research. Um, it's it's fascinating. He thought that he might be a stife, you know, the stife toys. Yes, teddy bears are, are all kinds of animals they made. Right. But one of the things that freaked people out was the kids would be walking to school in the morning, the neighborhood kids, and they would look up at the windows um, on the upper floors and they would see Robert moving around. And they got so scared, they found another way to school. But he's um, he's one of the most famous haunted dolls right yes. up there with Chucky. I was going to say real, Chucky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we went to Key West, Suzanne and I, a few years ago, and I did encounter Robert the doll. I made a point of going in there. It was in a museum and I probably wouldn't have gone to it at all were it not for Robert the doll. And what I can tell you, Leslie, is that I don't know what Suzanne's experience was exactly. We talked about it a little bit, but my experience was of being in a place of collective energy. The feeling uh -huh. I had, my intuition just kicked in for what that's worth. And I had the strong feeling that it wasn't just Robert and me there, that there was, there was a, if you will, a kind of coven of energies where they were protective of this mascot of their wow. doll that was symbolic of a presence there around whom they could coalesce. And I went in with an attitude of respect. I even, as I was advised to do, whether it was for giggles or whether they actually suggest you do this seriously, I was um, told that I can take a photo, but you ask. You'd be polite enough to ask if you could take a photo of Robert the doll. Well, I took a picture and then I actually whispered the words, one more. <laughs> and there was a sense of like, well, go ahead. And I took a couple of pictures of Robert the doll and I promised that I would write a note and mail it to this museum after our visit there, which I did. And nothing untoward has happened to me. I felt it was a rewarding experience, enjoyable yes. in its way. But there are people who write and say, I'm so sorry. I said I was going to write and I didn't. And then I broke my foot uh, stepping off the porch at home or something happened. And they tied it to their disrespect yeah. of Robert the doll as though it were a karmic consequence, a kind of pay, a, a punishment, really. Yeah, a lot of people think there is a curse. Um, yes. I did yeah. not go see him. And I don't think I will. Just because of all the weird stories I've heard about stuff that happened. But I felt it wasn't a bad energy. If you go into That's anything with an attitude of respect, you're going to have a different outcome, I'll wager. Uh, by contrast with somebody that goes, all right, let's see what you got, Robert. You're supposed to be this big, scary doll. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't go in there with that attitude. 
<laughs> I just think that's bad manners anyway. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We have just uh, two and a half minutes left. And the last story is not a ghost story. It's just a great personal family story. It's in an update of a story that you tell on page 277. And it's when you went to Haight-Ashbury and found a loose cat that you were concerned about. And so would you take a couple minutes and let's close with that story? Yeah, I was um, researching ghosts uh, in the area. And I was on the corner of Haight-Ashbury where a young man had been shot and killed years earlier, and it was supposed to be a haunted spot. And I was taking pictures there. It's kind of a busy road. And all of a sudden, I saw this cat wandering along. And I'm a big cat lover. My cats, I don't allow them to roam. I keep them in where it's safe. And I became alarmed. I thought, oh, I don't want something to happen to this cat. So I, my friend April was with me and I picked him up and we saw he had a collar with an address and I carried him. It's probably half a mile up the hill. And, but every couple steps, the cat would leap out of my arms and he was a nice cat. He didn't try to scratch me or anything. And I kept having to pick him up. And um, when I got there, the lady would not even come outside. She was annoyed. I'd bothered her because the cat had free reign and apparently went down to that corner quite a bit. So the next day I was talking to my mom on the phone and she says, I had the strangest dream last night. I dreamed I was in a, in a strange city and I found a cat and I had him in a box and I was carrying him, but he kept jumping out of the box. But my mom and Anne rule, the true crime author, um, she was very psychic. She had a real strong sixth sense. So I thought that was interesting. And so in the update, I mentioned it. It's a good memory. Yes, I'm glad you put that in there. And that is our contribution to National Cat Day, which is today. <laughs> <laughs> we have to celebrate. Well, I think we did in a way, Leslie, telling that story and having you with us. And, uh, of course, always our good wishes toward your wonderful mother. Anne is somewhere doing something fun and probably writing about it, even in heaven. Leslie Rule's book is Haunted in America, True Ghost Stories from the Best of Leslie Rule Collection. Leslie Rule, we're delighted anytime we get together. Let's not wait so long before our next visit on Manson Mitchell. That sounds good. All right. More ghost stories to tell and have a happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. All right. Speaking of, speaking of National Cat Day, if yes. you've got cats, especially black ones, oh, keep yes. them inside yes. on Halloween, yes. please. Yeah, don't let anything happen to your, your feline friends. Very good. And join us next Friday. We'll be back. Hope you have a wonderful Halloween and a great week ahead, everyone.